Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. Let's uh, pray as we prepare our hearts to look in the Word together. Lord, what a uh, wonderful reminder that what you did on the cross was enough. Really accomplished, Lord, everything our hearts had longed for and uh, dealt with our sin, brought us back into relationship with you, made us whole again. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your life in us. We thank you for the great encouragement of hearing from Abdallah and Emil. Thank you that uh, you've been doing a mighty work there in Jordan. We pray you'd uplift them during their stay with us, minister to them and minister to us as we hear about your mighty works and share our lives together, Lord. We thank you that we have this opportunity to look into your word, Lord. Teach us about you. Teach us about suffering. Teach us to trust you and depend on you in new and deeper ways, Lord. And we thank you for your word and how true it is that there is no other source of real truth than you and what you've revealed to us. And we thank you that we have access to it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. When I came to Christ at uh, age 17, between my junior and senior years of high school, I was pretty excited. It was great to be part of the family of God and experience the forgiveness of Christ and experience the joy of that. It was really a joyous time for me. But it didn't take very long for me to experience some difficulty. It turned out that my friends that I'd had for so long thought I was kind of weird. They thought I was strange to be a Christian. And I remember one day in particular when we had a youth rally and I stood up in front of most of my classmates, high school classmates, and shared my testimony and uh, felt this sense of alienation, this sense that I was really different because I'd committed my life to Christ. I experienced a lot of rejection in my own family. Got a lot of those statements like, well, it's just a phase he's going through. He'll grow out of it eventually. Um, a lot of uh, hurt there. It was, it was just a difficult time for me as I began to walk with Christ and experience the rejection from friends and family because of that. I got so that at times I'd be pushy and try to convince everybody they had to be a Christian too, or I would withdraw because I didn't want to be rejected. It was just difficult to know how to respond at times. And I hate being rejected, as most of us do. Some of you have lost jobs for your faith. Some of you have lost friends, many of you, I'm sure, because you came to Christ and have tried to live for Him and stand up for Him. Some of you have been rejected by your family. Now, a few of us experience the kind of persecution and rejection that Abdullah and others have, being imprisoned and rejected for a faith, and yet we do experience suffering if we will walk with Christ in this country. We live in an ungodly culture. And if we choose to live in a godly way, living by God's will, then we will suffer. We will be rejected by the world around us because the world does not take kindly to those that do not confirm its own sinful, ungodly choices. And simply by our lives, we will be rejected. Acquaintance of mine had his business and 
came to Christ and began to change his business practices, and simply because he was seeking to follow Christ, lost his entire business and was destitute for following Christ. I know a high schooler who was taken down by his high school friends. They dumped beer all over him and down his throat trying to get him to drink because he didn't want to join in in their beer drinking parties. And I'm sure all of you could share stories from your own life or from others you know who have experienced the rejection of what it means to be a Christian in an ungodly society. And the truth is, the more you live for Christ, the more rejection you'll face. So what happens with many of us, all of us at times, I would venture to say, is that we do what we can to avoid the suffering. We find ways to not have to be rejected by the world around us. And there are several ways we can do that. One way is conformity. We just kind of fit in, you know. So instead of at work around the water cooler, a coffee room, or wherever you happen to be, when the, uh, when the crude jokes come or the gossip and slander putting others down, the, the anger that's displayed so often, instead of standing up and saying, no, we shouldn't be doing this, or walking out, you just kind of join in and kind of laugh along with everybody else and, because you don't want to be seen as different. That's conformity. You spend your money the same way as the world does on pleasure and toys and feeling good. You live the same lifestyle, say the same things, see the same movies, react in the same ways, and just conform to the world so that you're just like the world and therefore, and I say you, I mean me too, we, we all do this at times, to avoid the awful feeling of being different, of being an alien and a stranger. In the world, another way that we as Christians flee from suffering is withdrawal. Well, we don't like the pressure, the difficulty of suffering, so we withdraw into our Christian culture, and we just hang around Christians all the time. We just do Christian things all the time, and there are places in the U.S. where you don't have to have contact with any non-Christians, really, if you don't want to. You can go attend Christian schools all the way through, have Christian businesses, and, and never have to have contact with the world, just withdraw from it. But I don't think that's what God calls us to either. Another option, and this is certainly tried in this country, I don't think in most countries you'd even attempt it, and that's to conform the world to Christian morals. Try to make the world fit us so that we don't feel uncomfortable in it. And because America has been a Christian nation, quote-unquote, it's been based on Christian values, much of the time in this country, Christians have been able to feel pretty comfortable. But it's getting less and less so. And so there can be pressure to try to conform the world to our, to our Christian values. But I believe the Lord says, you're not to flee suffering. In fact, suffering is something we are each called to endure. The rejection of the world, the sense of, I don't fit, the sense of being an alien and a stranger, a sense that this is not my home and it feels uncomfortable and people reject me because I'm different, is something God calls us to endure, to stand up with, to 
live through. But why? I mean, why should we really endure? Why should we endure suffering and not just use these ways to avoid it? Why live radically for Christ in such a way that it's sure to bring you rejection in some way, in some manner? Again, not when I say that, don't hear me that I'm saying, okay, we should go out and just be obnoxious and push our faith on everybody and say, you're a sinner, like some have tried, and then gloat because they're suffering for Christ because they're rejected. That's not at all what I'm talking about, or Peter either, in the book of First Peter. He's talking about living a life in which you love God and say, Lord, I will do your will, and in which you love others around you. And the world says, I don't know how to handle you. And you end up being rejected, but you also end up being a light for Christ. Why should we endure suffering? Well, in the first verse of chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose. He says, arm yourselves with the same thinking as Christ had, the same insight. To endure, you need to be armed. And what you need to be armed with is the truth that suffering is beneficial. It has an end result that is powerful and good in your life. It feels bad at the moment. Are we all agreed? Suffering doesn't feel good. But it has an end result that's valuable. What causes a woman to endure the pain of labor? Does she like pain? I don't think so. Watched my wife go through it four times, and she doesn't do it just because it's fun. It feels awful. But she endures it because she knows what will happen because of it. There will be a baby that will be produced out the other side that will bring joy and life and goodness. And the same with the pain of suffering. That when we arm ourselves with the truth that this will do something good in my life, we can endure it even though it hurts even though it hurts. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. There's something amazing that God does in our hearts through the pain of suffering as we deal with life and are rejected. Again, the theme of 1 Peter, we've been going through it for several weeks, is that we're aliens and strangers in the world, and therefore we are a different Person, The King James of verse in chapter 2 translates it, we are peculiar people. I like that because it's true. <laughs> We're peculiar. We don't fit. We're a holy people called out to be different. So let's look at what we are to arm ourselves with. What truths we can arm ourselves with to keep us enduring in the face of suffering rather than fleeing like, like we all are tempted to do. Well, the first truth that we must arm ourselves with is in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same insight or same purpose. First truth is that suffering unites us with Christ. There's something about suffering because he has gone before us. He has suffered ahead of us. He walked through the ultimate rejection put to death on the cross for our sakes because he has done that for us. When we enter into suffering as well, it does something amazing. 
It unites us with Him in a way that could never happen otherwise. Peter says earlier in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. There's something about entering into suffering that allows us to follow in His steps, to become one with Him, to be part of what He is doing in the world. Paul puts it this way in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, as he talks about what he, how he has given up all else, considered it all rubbish for the sake of what? Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and get this, the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul's goal is to know Christ, to know His power, and to know the fellowship of his sufferings. There's something about suffering that unites us in fellowship with him, that causes us to know him and be one with him in ways that could never happen otherwise. It deepens our dependence on him, our intimacy. It clarifies in our hearts our choice to follow him, to be on the same path, to be behind him, to be with him. And it really does create some kind of a kinship, a mutual understanding, knowing that he's been through the suffering ahead of us. Why do adult children of alcoholics join together in groups? Why do victims of abuse join together in groups? Why do those suffering loss like to come together and talk about their grief together? They can all relate to one another, right? They've all been through it. Oh, you understand what I'm going through. Well, there's something about Christ having suffered first, and then as we walk in the same suffering in his steps, that we have a kinship with him when this says, Lord, you understand. And now I understand some of what you went through. And therefore, we have a, a bond, a unity that draws us close together and allows us to have an intimacy that is impossible without suffering as well as he has. I went and uh, got a tire fixed this week. And I, as I went into the tire place, I was chatting with the man that was fixing it and started talking about what he was going to do next weekend. And he told me he was going to Burns, Oregon. And I thought, wow, someone else who grew up in Burns, Oregon? So we started chatting about that, and I thought, hey, here's some suffering we've shared in together. <laughs> you see, there was a kinship there simply because we understood. And when you suffer and are rejected for your faith in Christ, there's a kinship between you and Christ that draws you together, deepens your intimacy, unites you with Him, in a way that could not happen otherwise. So we should endure suffering because of what it does. It unites us with him. Secondly, we should endure suffering because of what Peter says in the next couple of verses. Picking it up in, in verse 1 again. Arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but... For the will of God. You see, we should endure suffering because of what it does to us. It changes us. It frees us from the power of sin in our lives. 
Peter's writing to a culture that was very corrupt. Asia Minor, that whole area. There were, it was the Roman Empire was becoming more and more corrupt. There was a moral decline. Homosexuality was prevalent. Prostitution, idolatry, pagan temples. Uh, it was based, life was essentially based on your own sensual urges. If it feels good, do it. And they had the money and the wealth in the Roman Empire to do that. Many of the people did. And so they lived a completely self-indulgent lifestyle. And as I read about that culture, I think, that sounds familiar. <laughs> that sounds like our society in America. We have so much money and wealth that we're told by advertising that, hey, to have life, to be happy, to be content, you need this. Someone told me after the first service that he'd read that there were, the average American is exposed to 16,000 bits of advertising Im images every day calling us that we need to buy something, we need to have this on boxes, on billboards, on TV, on the sides of cars, on signs, wherever you are, saying you have to have this, you have to have this. Images driving, driven into our minds saying, if you want life, here it is. You have to have pleasure, you have to have self-fulfillment, self-indulgence, and this is where life is all about. Life comes from feeling good, it comes from pleasure, it comes from satisfying your urges, never holding back, sexual or otherwise. It comes from partying. You know, you, you watch these uh, advertisements or billboards. Why do they connect a beautiful woman with a car? Because it sells. Because the world is controlled by urges, by lusts, by our own desires. And so if you can stir that up, even though they're unrelated, then people will buy it. We as human beings tend to be naturally controlled by those urges. And it was the same in that day. But Peter says, we're to live differently. We're to no longer live as the world does, not for our lusts, but for the will of God, he says. We're to live differently than the world around us, not controlled by, well, it's a new day. What do I want to do today? But rather, it's a new day. Lord, what's your will for me today? I'm your servant. I want to live according to your will today, not according to my own urges, my own feelings. There's a new... Uh, bracelet that's being handed out and sold for kids to wear these days called uh, WWJD, which is to encourage, encourage kids to remember, what would Jesus do? WWJD. How many of you parents have kids that are wearing those bracelets? There's some, a few. Yeah, quite a few. I think it's wonderful. I think that's great. But do our kids realize, mine included, who wears them, that that means suffering. If you truly decide to do that, if you say, I will live according to what Jesus would do, not according to what the world would do, that's exactly what God calls us to do. But understand, it will mean suffering. It will mean rejection. It will mean you do not fit in the world around you. It's a battle. It's a struggle to follow God's will. I kind of thought when I came to Christ that it wouldn't be a struggle anymore. Hey, I'm a Christian now. The Holy Spirit's in me. It won't be a battle, but 
Peter says, no, arm yourself with this because it is a battle. It is a struggle. And naturally, we will always live by our fleshly urges, not by the will of God. What he says here is that suffering is one of God's tools to break the flesh's hold on us, to break our dependence on our own lusts, our own desires, and to set us free to to live according to his will. He says, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That doesn't mean as sinless, obviously, because we all struggle. But what it means is suffering allows us to make that break in lifestyle so we live differently. Yes, we'll still slip. Yes, we'll still fall. But we won't be living as the world does anymore. It strengthens us, suffering does, makes us more determined. It puts to death our self-dependence, our selfishness a little more every time we're rejected. Recently, the sliding door on our van wasn't working, so I decided, oh, we've got company in 45 minutes. I'll, uh, I can change the roller on this. So I took the little part off and got it out. And this is typical for me, you know, Jeannie drives her crazy, but uh, thought, yeah, no problem. All it was was a little roller and I could see that it just slid into a slot. So all I had to do is break it free from that slot. Well, I hammered on it and hammered on it and pried on it and got the neighbor over and we're both holding it, reefing on it and hammering it. And finally it broke free. And just as it did, of course it hasn't been put back together or anything, the company drives up and I'm all sweating. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, oh, hi, well, uh, I'll be in in a minute. And, uh, but that's, it, it took a lot more than I thought it would. And it's the same in our dealing with the flesh. Suffering is the blow, the hammer blow, each time you're rejected, that breaks the hold of the flesh on us a little more to set us free so we can live according to His will rather than our own. And if we avoid suffering, we lose the opportunity for God to do that work in our hearts, to change us, to make us new. And in verse 3, Peter goes on to say, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He says, you've spent enough time living that way. It's time to be different now. It's time to stop conforming to the world. And it's time to begin living for God's will. And yes, it will mean suffering. But that suffering will be used to strengthen you and give you more strength and ability to live according to God's will. And in verse 4, he says, there's something you need to know, though. (laughs) In all this, they are surprised that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. So what we need to know is that, follow this progression, we need to live for him, which causes suffering. And that suffering is God's hammer blows to change our character and mold us into something beautiful that lives for him even more, which the world will think is strange and will lead to more suffering. You just need to realize that. Don't be surprised when others reject you when you live for Christ. We live in a hostile environment. 
Again, the world does not like those who don't confirm its own selfish, sinful choices. And we don't. Notice the way he puts it here. He says, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same flood of dissipation. That idea of a flood is this, it's a flash flood coming down a canyon. And it's going fast. And what the world is doing is running into it to be carried away by its own lusts and its own sin. And he says, the world will be surprised when you don't run with them into the same flood. In fact, you fight against it. And suffering is one of God's tools to give you roots to dig deeply and not be carried away by the flood along with everyone else. And the flood is powerful. And once you swim out into it, it's very difficult to get out. Some of you have heard the story of when I was swimming with a friend up in the Salmon River area. And my wife and his wife were seated on the beach. We decided, well, why don't we go up a ways, swim out in the current, and then swim out where they are. And, and he suggested that. And I said, well, okay. I didn't want to let him know that I'm not that great a swimmer and I'm not that confident but I couldn't let him see that, okay? So we swam out in the current in the Salmon River, and we're floating along, and, and then they're getting closer, so we're starting to swim out, and I couldn't break free from the current. I started to panic and get scared, and it was, it was too much for me. He had to help me get out of the current. Otherwise, I would have been way downstream somewhere, I think, <laughs> today. And the flood of dissipation is like that. You know, we flirt with the world sometimes as Christians. And we step out in the current and we say, well, this, you know, I'll spend my money like the world does. I'll seek pleasure for a while. I'll, I'll go along with this and it won't hurt me. And we get carried downstream and we find it's really hard to get out. And so Peter's word is, it's been enough time. It's been enough time. So let's evaluate our lives this morning. Where am I living for the world and its pleasures? Where am I saying, oh, what do I feel like doing today? Instead of, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Well, he says the result will be they will malign you, is my translation. They will reject you. They will slander you and your God. But that's what suffering is. It drives us to Him. It sets us free. And thirdly, verses 5 and 6, we should endure suffering because suffering increases our hope. Suffering increases our hope. Let me read those verses. But they shall give account. Those who choose to live that way shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. We should endure suffering because it increases our hope. Verse 5 is a warning. Realize that those who jump in the stream and carried along by the current they will be judged. Don't join in. It's a warning to all of us. Verse 6 is an encouragement. Now, it's a strange verse, and if you take it at face value, it kind of sounds like, well, the gospel's been preached to those who have 
already dead, as if they have a second chance somehow. But that can't be the meaning that Peter has, because if that were the case, why would he say, don't indulge in the flesh, don't give in, because you'll be judged if you do. Oh, but by the way, there is a second chance. You see, that wouldn't make any sense at all. I think what verse 6 is saying is that be encouraged, Christians, that even if you face the judgment of death, even though your body is judged and you physically die, realize that once you accept Christ, you will live eternally. You have the hope that though you die like the rest of the world does physically, that's just your step into eternal life. And see, what suffering does is it helps you focus more and more on that end result, your hope of being with the Lord forever in heaven. I went backpacking last weekend. Our whole family did, actually. Up in the Satus, had a, had a wonderful time. But as we were hiking along on this day hike one day, and, and our feet are hurting, and we have blisters, and we're tired, and, and uh, at that point, the more pain we felt, the more tired we felt, the more it made us focus on our goal of where we were going. And we were headed for Kramer Lakes. I love that name, don't you? Isn't that a great name? <laughs> Which is a beautiful spot. But as the pain continued, as we hiked along, again, it made us focus more and more on, we just want to get there. We want to get to our destination. And see, that's what suffering does. It helps you not be so tied down with the pleasures of life as you're walking through and trying to fulfill yourself here. But suffering increases your hope and your desire for heaven. Oh, Lord, I can't wait till I get there, till I'm going to be there with you forever. It increases your hope. It increases your desire for heaven. It drives you more and more to seek it. I like the way uh, Oswald Chambers puts it. Suffering is not something we are to seek, but it's a byproduct of seeking God. He says, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. But he chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. That's what God wants, is people that will seek his will. And it may mean suffering, it may not. But his goal is that we seek him. We seek his will. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Yet somehow we get it in our minds that we have to be comfortable, we have to experience pleasure, that God owes us somehow comfort in life. But Peter's word to us today is, don't flee suffering. Rather, arm yourself with the truth that suffering is something that God wants to use in your life for good, to unite you to Him and make you more Christ-like. It's the pressure in your life that's like the pressure on a lump of coal that changes it into a beautiful diamond. And suffering will do that as you continue to walk with Him and experience the suffering that will result. Arm yourselves, he says. It's a battle in your soul. The world's goal is happiness. God's goal for you is holiness. So 
So arm yourself with the truth that suffering is a gift of God, used of Him to draw you to Himself and make you holy. So the question I leave you with this morning is, what are you truly living for? To avoid suffering? To experience as much pleasure as you can while you're here? Peter says, it's enough time. <laughs> yeah, we've all lived that way, but it's enough time to live that way. Let's commit ourselves to live for God's will, to let suffering do its work, that we might be with Him and like Him. Let's pray. Lord, we do not like suffering. None of us do. It's not comfortable. It's comforting to know, Lord, that even you did not like suffering when you had to go through it. And yet you stood fast to do the will of the Father, even in the midst of tremendous rejection and suffering, Lord Jesus. Thank you. May we walk in your steps, Lord. Help us to arm ourselves with this insight that you are doing something wonderful, incredible, fantastic through suffering. Therefore, we can endure. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.